Section two of a failure of initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marion Carwin. A failure of initiative. Final report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to investigate the preparation for and response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives investigation overview part one we were abandoned city officials did nothing to protect us we were told to go to the superdome the convention center the interstate bridge for safety we did this more than once in fact we tried them all for every day over a week we saw buses helicopters and fema trucks but no one stopped to help us we never felt so cut off in all our lives when you feel like this you do one of two things you either give up or go into survival mode we chose the latter this is how we made it we slept next to dead bodies we slept on streets at least four times next to human feces and urine there was garbage everywhere in the city panic and fear had taken over patricia thompson new orleans citizen and evacuee select committee hearing december sixth two thousand five investigation overview when Hurricane Katrina made landfall near the Louisiana-Mississippi border on the morning of August 29, 2005, it set in motion a series of events that exposed vast numbers of Americans to extraordinary suffering. Not only would Katrina become the most expensive natural disaster in U.S. history, it would also prove to be one of the deadliest. From the marshes of Louisiana's Plaque Mines Parish, to the urban center of new orleans to the coastal communities of mississippi and alabama katrina cut an enormous swath of physical destruction environmental devastation and human suffering with the overtopping and breaching of the new orleans levees the vast majority of the city became submerged requiring the emergency evacuation of tens of thousands of residents who had not left prior to the storm lifted off roofs by helicopters or carried to safety in boats they were taken to the superdome the convention center a piece of high ground known as the cloverleaf or any other dry spot in the city at these locations they were subjected to unbearable conditions limited light air and sewage facilities in the superdome the blistering heat of the sun and in many cases limited food and water they feared for their safety and survival, and the survival of their city. You had people living where people aren't supposed to live, said Dr. Juliet Saucy, director of New Orleans Emergency Medical Services, referring to the dire situation in the Superdome and Convention Center. In general, people were just trying to survive. Some people acted badly, but most just wanted something to eat and drink, and wanted to feel safe. At least 1,100 Louisianans died as a result of Katrina. Mississippians have understandably felt slighted that the devastation to their state has received less national public attention than New Orleans. Mississippi experienced a different storm than Louisiana. In essence, a massive, blender-like storm surge versus the New Orleans flooding caused by breached and overtopped levees. By the end of the day on August 29th, due largely to a storm surge that reached 34 feet in the western parts of the state and extended inland as far as 10 miles, 
more than half of mississippi was without power and had suffered serious wind and water damage in addition to the surge high winds and tornadoes left thousands of homes damaged and destroyed and as many as sixty-six thousand mississippians were displaced from their homes katrina completely flattened entire neighborhoods and communities such as waveland bay st louis and pass christian but its damage was not limited to those who lived closest to the gulf of mexico even well inland there is no debate over whether homes may be habitable or not they just aren't there any more in these towns brick walkways and front porches lead up to nothing just a concrete slab where a house used to stand the storm careened upwards through the entire state with hurricane-force winds and tornadoes reaching jackson the state capital and its northernmost counties and transforming twenty-eight thousand square miles or sixty per cent of the state into a catastrophic disaster area by the time the storm had passed at least two hundred and thirty people were dead and nearly two hundred thousand people were displaced from their homes agricultural forestry gaming and poultry industries were severely damaged department of homeland security dhs reports estimate veterinary medical assistant teams disposed of over three million chickens that were destroyed by the storm while winds upon landfall were not as powerful as those of hurricane camille in nineteen sixty nine katrina was in many ways the perfect storm for coastal mississippi the combination of high winds extraordinarily low barometric pressure and arrival during a high tide resulted in a storm surge nearly twice that of camille's wind-whipped water flooded towns not only from the south but from the north not just from the gulf but from the bayous this was not a tsunami-like single wave of destruction this was a sustained ever-growing high tide one that kept coming for hours and when the water did roar back toward the gulf it took everything with it furniture pool tables refrigerators thirty-foot boats countless household items everything that was once inside was suddenly outside even the very accurate forecasts didn't capture the magnitude and devastation said eddie fave mayor of bay st louis it was the in and out of the surge that killed us the out in particular it carried everything away our infrastructure was devastated gulfport mayor brent war said the water came in blew off manhole covers then receded and caused a vacuum sucking gators and dvd players and lots and lots of sand into water and sewer pipes you couldn't have backed up a truck to a manhole cover and dumped it in more effectively out on his converted shrimp boat on the evening following katrina's landfall Representative Gene Taylor, whose home was destroyed, recalls seeing complete and utter devastation on the ground and a telling sight in the air. Birds were so tired all they could do was hold their wings out and soar in the wind, he said. Our seagulls, if I had to guess, ended up in Arkansas. Very little wildlife remains evident in the storm-ravaged areas. National Guardsmen stationed in Louisiana said they rarely see any pelicans or alligators anymore there are a few shrimp boats working the gulf and elected officials in mississippi guess it will take two years for the state's oyster industry to begin to recover areas presumed to be flood-proof 
Like the Diamond Head community, built after Hurricane Camille, miles north of Bay St. Louis, suffered flood damage. Wind shifts caused a lot of areas considered safe to be flooded, like the town of Delisle, where my district director's brother lives, Taylor said on a tour bus with select committee members in January. His house was pancaked. When he came home and tried to crawl in to see what he could salvage, he ended up face to face with an alligator. He ended up shooting the thing. People got mad because they were hungry, and he let the alligator rot in his front yard. While only two hurricane-related deaths were reported in Alabama, Katrina caused significant damage along its coast with a wave surge of 13.5 feet, exceeding the 100-year flood level of 12 feet, despite the fact that the state did not suffer a direct hit from the hurricane. Bayou Labatt and Dauphine Island received the brunt of the storm in Alabama, losing 800 and 200 homes respectively. The storm caused wind damage as far north as Tuscaloosa County. Mobile Bay spilled into downtown and flooded large sections of the city, destroying hundreds of homes. The sheer power of the storm dislodged a nearby oil drilling platform, which became caught under the U.S. Highway 98 bridge. The overall toll from the devastation is still being tallied. At the time this report was issued, more than 3,000 people from storm-affected states remained unaccounted for. During the most recent fact-finding trip to the Gulf Coast, in late January 2006, members and staff of the Select Committee were shocked by the level of devastation and slow pace of cleanup. So many towns, cities, and parishes remain almost entirely empty. A throbbing metropolis of 470,000 before the storm, New Orleans had become, at the time of our writing, a struggling city that is home to barely 100,000 people although officials say that figure almost doubles for now during the daytime when contractors and employees come into the city to work significant portions of the city and region remain uninhabitable in st bernard parish a few miles east of downtown new orleans only four houses did not suffer catastrophic damage from wind rain or sudden flood that resulted from the breaking of the levees of the mississippi river gulf outlet canal MRGO. The parish, once home to nearly 70,000 people, has seen its population dip to about 7,000, with nearly all of those people living in temporary housing. In all of the affected communities, the local economies remain on the brink of disaster, fearful of another punch that would surely be the knockout blow. In Mississippi, Hancock County lost 64% of its real property value. In Bay St. Louis and Waveland, the figure is estimated to be closer to 90%. Investigative Context An Overview It's been said that experience is the best teacher. The unfortunate thing is that the learning process is sometimes such a painful one. This report is the result of a five-month journey by the Select Committee to gather information from all those who learned painful lessons during Katrina. It examines how well local, state, and federal officials worked with each other and with private entities to alleviate the suffering of so many of our fellow citizens. In crafting an investigative plan, the Select Committee faced and overcame several challenges. We had to appoint members quickly and rely on other committees to detail staff to the Select Committee. We had to move quickly while memories and evidence were fresh. We had to gather as much information as we could while leaving time to write and design a consensus report before our February 15, 2006 deadline. 
we had to remain focused on our prescribed right before and right after the storm time frame despite significant interest in longer-term issues and challenges like juggling with knives we had to keep multiple investigative elements in play simultaneously preparing for and holding high-profile public hearings requesting receiving and reviewing documents and conducting interviews and briefings and all this had to be done in a less-than-ideal political atmosphere the select committee remains grateful to those democrats who chose to participate in our investigation in defiance of their leadership's decision not to appoint members officially to the panel the refusal by the minority leader was self-defeating given that the select committee's composition and minority subpoena authority would have given democrats more clout than they enjoy on any standing committee of the house despite this strategy the select committee's review and the creation of this report have been bipartisan endeavors in spirit and in fact on september fifteenth before the select committee was established by a bipartisan house vote the government reform committee held a hearing on the early lessons learned from katrina at that hearing the committee's ranking member representative henry waxman said there were two steps we should take right away first he said we should request basic documents from the agencies and second he said we need to hear from michael brown and michael chertoff these are the two government officials most responsible for the inadequate response and the committee should call them to testify without delay the select committee did not delay we met and exceeded those goals while many who so urgently called on congress to swiftly investigate refused to participate and instead prejudged our efforts we investigated aggressively what went wrong and what went right the select committee continuously invited any and all interested democrats to join our hearings giving them full and equal opportunity to make statements and question witnesses and help guide the direction of our inquiry including identifying and inviting witnesses five democratic members did just that representative charlie melanson representative jean taylor representative bill jefferson representative cynthia mckinney and representative sheila jackson lee document requests submitted to federal state and local agencies were signed by both chairman davis and representative melanson in addition to direct member participation democratic members and staff were assigned to travel with republican members and staff to affected locales and representative waxman's top government reform committee investigative staff assisted democratic participants finally democratic members were repeatedly invited to offer narrative text and findings for inclusion in this report the select committee beyond extending these courtesies remained focused on the job of congress in our system of checks and balances the congress has both the duty and the obligation to ask tough questions we did not believe it was appropriate to outsource our congressional oversight responsibility the american people did not want us to punt they wanted answers and they wanted them quickly if there is a consensus down the road to establish an outside commission which some purportedly wanted so be it the two were not and are not mutually exclusive however a commission will take months to set up and an eternity to finish its work we needed to begin immediately while evidence and memories were fresh news reports and other statements suggested many democrats felt the same for example bloomberg news reported in november that some house democrats want a larger role in katrina investigation 
in that report representative jean taylor said it's really important that we're there i certainly wish more of my colleagues who are interested in this would participate mr davis to his credit has been extremely fair representative maxine waters who had told chairman davis she wanted to participate but later said she could not told bloomberg i feel a certain void and a great absence from these discussions i was hoping that our leaders could find a way so we could participate representative neil abercrombie said he unsuccessfully expressed interest in serving on the committee the position of ms pelosi in the leadership is pretty clear he said i have a different view democrats who did buck their leadership have acknowledged both the value of their participation and the eagerness of the select committee to have them participate representative cynthia mckinney expressed her regrets about the democrats failure to officially appoint members to the committee while thanking chairman davis for convening a hearing on december sixth featuring the testimony from african-american residents and evacuees i would like to thank you mr chairman for allowing us to have this day because were it left up to-i will get in trouble now but were it left up to the democratic leadership we would not have had this day because we wouldn't be here the democratic leadership has instructed us to boycott this panel so i would like to thank my chairman for giving us the opportunity to invite people who don't have the opportunity to come and testify before congress we are here to serve all of the people of this country and too rarely do we hear from all of the people regardless of who did or did not participate in our investigation the select committee had a job to do and we were determined to do it right end of section two